0: last time on the kaiju apostle podcast it's almost like you got to second base and just kind of stood there
1: <laughs> just like me on my dates edit that out i shouldn't have mustard on my face for you to like me david <laughs> <laughs> no movie is really just one director's vision and when it is you get attacked
0: to be fair i actually don't even know what second base means so.
1: i don't either um, but what's if it's holding hands Uh
0: oh Oh, no yeah no (laughs) all right welcome back to the kaiju apostle podcast the only show where two seminarians discuss and read way too much into kaiju films my name is David and joining me as always is Chris and someone else and someone else and we're going to get right into it joining us is the one and only Matt Parmley from kaiju transmissions how are you sir
2: Doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for uh, having technical difficulties, too. We're starting like we- a half hour late here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> if you know anything about our show, that's like normal for us. So, yeah. I don't know what you guys were expecting.
0: Uh, a bit more than this, but that's all right. <laughs> oh, shoot.
1: Hey, so we're really excited to have him on. We just thought we'd endlessly flame him for 20 minutes before the episode.
0: Yeah. No, this is uh, this is just kind of on par for... Uh, our text conversations like the, uh, E pluribus anus text I sent you the other <laughs> night. <laughs> oh, that was great. But, uh, Matt, if you wouldn't mind, um, assuming that there are some listeners that haven't listened to your podcast yet. Cause I'll be honest. When I first actually got into the Someone fandom, knows. your show was probably the one that was recommended to me the most. So I know there's a lot of people who know you, but for those who don't, why don't you take some time, introduce yourself, talk about yourself outside of the show too.
2: Um, so our show started about four and a half years ago. Um, myself and my co-host Kyle Bird, and we just kind of uh threw some ideas and the one that stuck was doing a Godzilla podcast that like introduced people to stuff outside Godzilla. So we talk about horror films, we talk about stuff like Ultraman, which is pretty well known by this point, but we try to go into some of the more obscure tokusatsu and adjacent stuff. Like we've covered things like not really tokusatsu like Storm uh Storm troopers, oh my god. Uh Starship Troopers, not Stormtroopers, <laughs> Starship Troopers. Um, but like the thing that we love about that I love about the show is I'm seeing some of these films for the first time myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I was one of those Godzilla fans that kind of only stuck to Godzilla and Bird has really forced me to venture outside of that. And so that's kind of the genesis of the show. We've been doing it for four and a half years. We've done stuff on um We've done panels at G-Fest. We have some really cool things coming up with Kaiju Masterclass, which is an online convention that drops uh, August 2nd. Um, August, geez, Pete. October 2nd. There we go. Going um, October back in 2nd.
1: Time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> You can tell, like, right now my, I have a uh, dad brain, got my kid to bed. I came downstairs to join you wonderful guys. And uh, unfortunately, all my, like, computer went to crap, and I've been frazzled by that. So please bear with me as I fumble through all this stuff. But kaiju transmission to something. The thing about our show is we try to be more informative. We'll talk about history of the show, um, mm-hmm. how it came to be, what it was talking about, what, what the themes were, and then we'll talk about what we feel about it at the end. We'll kind of rate it on a scale of one to five, and we come up with something stupid like a one to five Minamata diseases, which I'm sure we'll talk about during this episode. So yeah.
0: So remind me, you gave a five out of five to the anime trilogy.
2: That is uh, no, I, I despise the anime trilogy with, with like the Fire of a Thousand Suns. I know.
1: What did you give it's Godzilla okay. '98?
2: Uh, a step above that. So, like <laughs> if you go look at my if you go look at my letterbox, I think the three anime films got like a half, and I think '98 got a one star out of five, probably. Oh, well, hey. So they're they're close, like. You're you're probably, you're you're probably, um, I don't, it's, there's like not much of a difference in them. I just dislike the anime that much.
0: And see what's so funny is you were so vehemently against them on Alex and Eric's show that I still wanted to be friends with you. Like I hadn't really talked to you at that point, but I'm like, (laughs) you know what? I don't agree with you at all, but this sounds like someone I need to get to know.
2: I don't, man, I have never been that bored watching a Godzilla anything. So that's, that's, yeah, anyway. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so with Kaiju Transmissions and you said you have something coming up for uh Kaiju Masterclass, that's what it's called, right?
2: Yeah, so Kaiju Masterclass is an online convention. Um, Steve Rifle is kind of the one who spearheaded it. If you know who Steve Rifle is, he's the guy that co-authored the Yashira Honda biography. And so we're going to have some guests which have not been announced, but will be soon. Um, and it'll be like three days from October. I'm looking at my calendar this time. So it's the, it's the first weekend in October. So October 2nd, which is the Friday. The big two-day event will be the third and the fourth, which is the Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. And the idea is to have live panels with Q&A, with having real guests that have actually done work either on the films or know of the films, um, and to be as informative as possible. And there's was, there was some really cool stuff lined up. And those announcements should be going out, like today being September 7th, um, probably the next week or two, we should have our guest list finalized and be announcing that to the public. So real excited to be a part of that. Uh, Hopefully, we don't have the technical difficulties that we had today, but um, I'm really stoked to be part of that. It'll be like probably 20 different live panels and um, live streams on YouTube and maybe Twitch. We're kind of working a couple angles with that, but yeah.
0: So you're hosting the Apologetics for Menya class, right? I, uh,
2: no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I am not. All right, he's, and that's
2: enough he's for He's giving the show.
0: benediction at least,
1: right? <laughs> moist yeah, Mignon I, don't, would be I blessing don't. The convocation.
2: I think so. I would lose, like, immediately would be kicked out of the, uh, the, the committee to put that thing on, and they would just, like, unfriend me and block me on Twitter and Facebook.
1: We've been warned that we would be persecuted for following the moist high.
2: That is so
0: true. But really, though, it's weird that Gabra gets more love in this fandom than Minya. I'm like, I I think at this point, people are just trying to be contrarian. But but anyway, Uh, we are excited to have you on, though. Um, I know this wasn't your uh, first choice for a film, but I think having your perspective (laughs) on this um, is going to be really, really insightful. Um, But just for everyone who's listening, just give you a brief outline because today is going to be a little different. Uh, So we are going to have our typical movie discussion, of course. Um, But then at the end, as we talked about last time, um, but in case you didn't listen, because we did talk about Space Amoeba, everyone's favorite non-Godzilla film. uh, We do have some audio clips that we're going to play in celebration of our one year anniversary, which oddly enough, we actually share with Monsters vs. Men, which... I realized that the other day. It's kind of funny. Um Ew, awkward. Yeah, right. And they're totally the more popular show. And what did uh, they get
1: us for our anniversary?
0: I'll tell you in private. And then oh. at the end, we do have a giveaway as well for that anniversary. So Monsters in Ben need not apply. No, yeah, they're disqualified. Alright, so we are discussing Godzilla vs. Hedorah. Um, growing up I always pronounced it Hedora, because I had no idea. Same. how to pronounce anything. And this movie was released on July twenty-fourth, nineteen seventy-one. So we've officially entered the seventies era of Godzilla films. And Matt, if you could go ahead and read the plot poetry.
2: Yeah, uh, so I'm I'm terrible at poetry, so you've been warned. Oh, I'm terrible too, so it's just going to, two
0: negatives, <laughs> it's a positive, we're good.
2: Smog, pollution, trash in the ocean, breeding ground for Hedoras' or Hedera's destructive commotion, a world steeped in chaos, noise, and unrest, society unaware of how to progress. A doctor and his son seem to have the sole wisdom, while everyone else looks in in anger and confusion. But lo and behold, Godzilla appears in the midst of darkness and acid-fueled fears, it takes a few battles and some overdrawn plot for a radioactive hero to reach in and plop pull out Hedera's eyes and put it an into its reign, but the next time terror strikes will Godzilla be hero again or again, you know.
1: Oh. Uh, that was really good. The real you Shakespearean yeah. flourish.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, why are you talking down on yourself? That was great.
2: I uh I where's where's the snap? Don't you yeah. guys do like
0: smith- for our for our viewers at home?
2: We're doing it. You just can't hear it on our mics. Yeah, they're probably like fast forwarding. Like, man, what's this guy shut up already? <laughs>
0: uh, so staff wise, this is going to be probably the most unique staff we've had so far, um, in our series. So, director was Yoshimitsu Bono. The writers was also uh Bono did the script. Well. So maybe, Matt, you can get into that here in a minute. So it was really kind of a joint script between Bono and then uh, it was uh, Takeshi Kimura under his pen name of um, Kara Mabuchi. Uh, Tomoyuki Tanaka was the producer when he was not in the hospital. Um, music was by Richiro Manabe. Uh, cinematography was Yoichi Manoda. And then special effects was Teru... Uh, God, I did it again last time I had to edit it out. Teru Yoshi Nakano. Um, So, Matt, I know you you kind of had an article that you shared with us. So if you have any insight trivia that you would like to share, I really like I said, that's the one thing I really do like about your show is and part of the reason why we don't try to do that is because you guys do get into a lot of the production history uh, stuff that I had no idea about. And I find that you guys distill it down pretty well. So whatever you have to share here.
2: Yeah, so the article you're referencing was um, our buddy Patrick Galvan, who's also um, a part of the Kaiju Masterclass online convention. Um, but in that article, one of the things he talks about is the fact that Bono actually rewrote like the script. So technically, yes, it was a joint effort to write the script, but then he got the first draft and was basically like, this is, this is not what I want. And so he did an interview back in uh, early 2000s, and he basically said that this was my script. I actually rewrote it from the ground up. Um so a couple of just like factoids like uh Richiro Manabe, he's actually the best known for his work writing uh Roman pornography scores. Hmm. So like that's that's where people would actually know him it's outside of Godzilla. He also scored the uh, Bloodthirsty Trilogy which is the three Dracula films that Toho put out. The we talked about in those, that last by the week. way. Are, yeah, those are those are fantastic. Um Yeah. The uh another thing is the the one thing that gets oft repeated is how much of a banning did he get? So the story goes that Tanaka, the producer for the film, was in the hospital, didn't really see much of the film. And then he he once he actually viewed the movie, he was like, you know what, Bano is banned from ever working again. It's not exactly what happened. Yes, it's true that Bano did not actually involve himself in future Godzilla productions, but Tanaka invited him Um, actually approached him and invited him to be the assistant director on Prophecies of Nostradamus a couple years later in 1974. And of course, somebody banned from the studio would never get that kind of opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is true that he didn't work on Godzilla, but also Bono is the reason that we got the legendary films, because he was given permission by Toho to start his project Godzilla in 3D, which was going to feature a different version of Hetera. Um, and eventually the the rights that he had became the rights that Legendary Pictures got, and that's why we have Legendary Godzilla 2014, Godzilla King of the Monsters, and Godzilla vs. Kong, whenever that eventually gets released. Uh, The other thing that I wanted to point out is apparently Hedorah's eyes are also uh, vaginas, which is something that Bono said scared him. Um, I don't know why you'd be scared of vaginas, and I'm sure that's probably not like... I have a
1: few reasons. (laughs) Uh,
2: uh, Yeah, maybe. Um... I was gonna say the other thing is the the sequence where Hetera's eyes are pulled out by Godzilla. Um, they are in fact eyes; they are not eggs. Uh, and again, one of those weird things where, like, when you see it in the movie, you're like, "That clearly looks like an egg and not an eye." But the the director himself has said those are in fact uh, eyes. So there's some just kind of some some basic um, trivia facts. The one thing about this film is it's pulling from real world history. So. Mm-hmm. You have uh, Minamata disease, which I kind of alluded to earlier, which is basically uh, either the chemical dump in Japan, it got into the fish, obviously people eat fish, and people started getting really sick and had like paralysis and death and it affected children. And you had people that were, you know, women giving, um, having stillborn, and just all kinds of crazy, awful, awful things. It's pulling real world things from that, from the pollution. Uh, There is a couple areas in Japan that actually looked very similar. You can go out and find pictures online. Uh, in the 1970s, like there was that much just pollution and sewage and stuff floating in the water. That's pulling from real world history. Another sequence in the film that happens um, as Tedder is flying over uh, uh, basically some kids in gym class, right? That's uh, some schoolgirls that are actually getting that are with their uh, gym teacher. They're exercising and like stretching and all this different stuff. Monster flies over and they all pass out and faint. That is inspired by something else that happened where there was a bunch of kids outside exercising and they passed out from the smog. So again, Mm. this movie does a lot with pulling from real world instances and and trying to really force that on the audience. I think it does a pretty good job of that overall. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, that's definitely something I want to touch on when we give our initial thoughts on the movie because I think a lot of that hits on why I do like this movie so much.
1: You said touch on, which makes me want to circle back to this concept of Roman porn. So is it like Roman watching porno, gladiators yeah. do it so you can get your crucifix?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, there's like the the whole thing with like Roman porn, Like it's it's a whole huge subgenre of movies. And Manabe, I, so Manabe is a pretty weird guy. So like people that interact with him, they describe him as kind of being like a loner and kind of an oddball. So like, doesn't really surprise me that he would score both, you know, Godzilla, but also do the, the Roman porn stuff. Um but again his like his score, either you I think for most people it's pretty divisive, either you love the stuff for Godzilla or you kinda hate it. But I will tell you that of the work that I've seen in other films like the the Bloodthirsty trilogy, the Dracula films, like it's it's pretty awesome. So You still didn't answer the question. What was the did I miss the question? Which is <laughs> so, highly like, possible. What,
0: what is this? Like are they like in toga's like
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't honestly know. Like, Roman porn, is, it's, yeah, a, it's that's, a subgenre. That's a In um, other places I've
1: heard the soundtracks, but not the Roman porn. <laughs> I
2: heard the Bloodthirsty Trilogy.
1: Uh-huh,
0: uh-huh. All right. hey, Either
1: way, they were sucking.
0: We are a family-friendly <laughs> show, so uh, we've are, already said vagina a few times. <laughs> let's, let's kind of move on here. Um, Chris, could you go ahead and uh, tackle the poll for us, please?
1: um pun intended so this week we we asked now that we've reached the 70s what is your favorite era of giant monster films in the showa era which i responded the 90s before i realized he said showa era (laughs) um so your choices were the 50s the 60s or the 70s and pretty much we got a pretty good response um the 50s were the least favorite era. Um, the 60s came out with just over half of your favorites, and then 70s about one third of the votes. So
0: it's kind of what I was predicting. Even though I'm thinking about the 50s, and I mean you do have Rodan, you do have the Mysterians, yeah. and obviously the original, but I had a feeling that wouldn't be, yeah.
1: Yeah, and we can put like the 2030s when King Kong versus Godzilla finally comes out. But.
2: <laughs> I'm hoping for video on demand at this point. It's just easier for everybody. And they'll, mm-hmm. and they'll like, maybe, maybe they'll make more money. Who knows? I'm not sure what the draw is anymore for that movie.
0: Yeah. We've talked about that a few times. And I mean, that's where I'm like, my setup is good enough where I'm like, I would totally be down for it. Because especially like if my son wakes up and I have to put him to bed, I'm not a movie theater. Right. I'm at home. I can pause it. I can go do that. Come back. I'm good to go. Yeah. But I understand my situation is different than, you know, if you're like 13, 14, you want to go to theater with your friends, stuff like that. So, um, so the Twitter discussion, uh, this has actually become her most popular tweet, <laughs> which was surprising. Um, so the actual prompt said it's often said Godzilla vs. Hetero was so controversial director Yoshimitsu Bono was not allowed to direct any more Godzilla films whether that's actually the case or not this film is unique to say the least so does this one work for you or is it better left unwatched so try to keep this a little bit diverse here um, David Booth answered I really enjoy this film it showed the monsters actually thinking like playing chess I really like it. Even the part where Godzilla figures his atomic breath would activate the electrode panels. Um, Eric Henry said, It's depressing, dour, weird, and psychedelic. That's a no for me, dog. (laughs) Uh, Rob New from Tokyo Lives says, I think it's a hoot, by golly. Catchy beats, weird visuals, and one of the most interesting kaijus. I love the little cartoon segments, and it's a shame we don't get more Showa with its style. We didn't get more Showa with its style, i.e. extremely 70s. And then Jay St. G said to sum it up lightly, being critical on Godzilla vs. Sedora, the main problem is it has an identity crisis. One minute, it's a kid's movie. One minute, people are dying from acid mist. Next minute, it's an acid trip and the kaiju action pacing is bad. Worst Godzilla movie of the show era, hands down. So wow. I think this is kind of where we can take a moment. Um, Chris, if you wouldn't mind, since this is your first time watching it, you know, share your thoughts. And then Matt, I'll, I'll have you join in after that.
1: Yeah, I can see it as a seventies movie. Um that is kinda of funny. It is trippy. But honestly, I you know, in the unique way that we're watching the movies, I liked it. It was a nice break from kind of the ones that we've had that were too similar. I could see maybe down the road, um if we're done before Jesus comes back or the heat death of the universe that I could look back on this with a little less appreciation, but I feel like if I was growing up watching these as they come out, I would feel the same way. This is a nice change of pace.
0: Um,
1: And it's like a change of pace that didn't require um, Godzilla to like start dabbing or do the Fortnite dance in the middle.
0: Is that your only example of him doing weird things?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) It's the way I'm communicating to our Gen Z fans.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah it used to be halo and okay, teabagging you know I'm not even
1: like cool enough to know any other dance moves so we're lucky I'm not talking about like Gangnam the Carlton
2: yeah <laughs> that's about the only dance move I can pull off by the way the oh, Carlton style the what the oh, Carlton <laughs> 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 yeah, flossing can't, oh, I can't do that I, I'm not coordinated man neither. yeah I'm not either
0: my body doesn't work that what way. about teach me how to Dougie
2: no no, I mean, I'm M-Y-D. just saying these are
0: other dances. How do you not know these?
2: <laughs> Thank you, Leg. You could, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. And then Ghost Ride the whip.
2: <laughs> but.
0: I
1: don't know. I appreciated the change of pace on this one. And I thought um Hedera was. I appreciated him being a fairly unique monster. Yeah. Compared to some of the other ones.
0: He's. I mean, that's what's so funny is. I mean, King Ghidorah is technically otherworldly. But this is the first one I think that we get that's like legitimately otherworldly. Like you don't have any point of reference for an animal because he's not at all. So and as you're going to find, Chris, throughout the rest of the well, throughout the most of the movies in the 70s, that's kind of what we get is we get more of this unique like alien feel to things, which it's it's refreshing. You know, all monsters attack definitely kind of helps set the tone of like, hey, we can do different movies. So I think it probably would have been more jarring going from destroyal monsters to this. We already got that black sheep once and then this is just kind of ramps it up to 11. So I'm glad you enjoyed it, though. I wasn't sure how you're going to feel. There's
1: something about like um, I liked when the I liked when the Kaiju were like real animals that are just bigger now. And I thought that was a nice touch. I think there was plenty to say in that. But now that we're getting to the era of like smog monsters and evil Ultraman. I think if it, if it gets, if it opens up new avenues and new discussions go for it.
0: Yeah. Ooh, that was a weird burp. Okay. What about you, Matt? <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, so I have, I have a weird history with this film that I actually want to save for the uh, eschatological conversation, right? Because there's, Spoilers. there's a part of me, there's a, uh, there's a part of me that hated this movie the first time that I watched it because of the way that I used to believe in specific theology. Um, But now I actually I I enjoy it. Um, And it's visually very unique, uh, definitely the most, in many respects, unique uh, film of the entire series. It has a lot. It has a very specific theme. It tackles that theme and whether or not you think it does it well may be a different discussion. But it is going after something that has some weight and some substance. And I can appreciate that. Um, I do think that some of my critiques of the film are probably the same. As what I had when I first saw it, at least probably half of them were. Mm. Um, the, the the battles themselves, the pacing can be a little drawn out. Some of the editing choices are a bit weird, mm. um, but if you're into art house theater at all, like this is probably something you'd want to check out. May not be for everybody. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm in my head. I was screaming at Eric Henry. He's he's somebody who's actually been on our podcast before, and he's actually he's a friend. He lives like an hour from me, and I can see exactly <laughs> why he hates that movie. So yeah. love you, Eric. <laughs> Um, But it's, I enjoy it now. And one of the things that helped me get to that over that hump of like, it's okay to like, I actually enjoy it is watching it through my son's eyes Who's six. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just watched it a couple of days with him again. And it's one that like when he was uh, maybe I'm a terrible parent, when he was like three, we would watch this. And like, he was totally and completely enthralled with hetero like Mm -hmm. from start to finish. And it's one of the cool things as a parent to be able to see him feel that way about something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Jasper watched it when he was a little bit younger too. Now, He says it is a little too scary for him. Um, But what's funny today, he was like, he wanted to watch a movie and he wanted to watch Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla two again. I'm like, Oh no, we're not doing that. So he's like, all right, well I want to watch a Gamera film, but I want it to be a little scary. So he watched Advent of Legion and that's the scariest part was the subway scene, which I was kind of concerned about showing him that, but we'll see if he screams in the middle of the night tonight. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at. We're, So I grew up watching this movie, like most of them, at least most of the show films. And I've always had a soft spot for it. I've always liked the score. Um, I mean, when the first time I watched it again after years of not seeing it, I mean, it was just like, just flashback and just all these memories flooding over when I heard the opening song. Like it's, I think when it comes to his score between this and uh, Megalon, I like this one more. Um, It's more unique. I think the Megalon one's fun, but this one just has more of that 70s flair to it. Um, I think of like, God, what's their name? Let me get... I think it came out in the 70s. Yeah, so, you know, I I think of like, it's not necessarily the same, but that song um, um, Hocus Pocus by the band Focus. Are you familiar with that? Did you guys ever watch uh, Baby Driver?
2: Mm -mm. I'm ashamed to say I've not seen baby driver. It is on my list to like get to maybe someday. I don't, you know,
0: no, it's fine. But the song's on there. It's just very psychedelic progressive rock. Right. And it just, again, I just, I love that era of music, even if I'm not always listening to it. So anyway, just growing up with it, I've always enjoyed it coming back. Yeah. There's, there's definitely some parts that I just kind of sit there and I'm diddling around on my phone, but you know even if i don't agree with people who say this was the most meaningful or the most in spirit of the original i i do think this is probably the messa- the the film with the most overt messaging if not to a fault at some points um as we'll kind of get into in a later uh, later section but i do think it's very clear between this and from what i've heard with the uh, prophecies of nostradamus um bono definitely had an axe to grind against um, destroying the environment, you know, and the effects of what humans can do to creation. And I I think it's a little unfortunate that, similar to the original, there is a very prophetic and very haunting message in this film that uh, we have not learned from and is still as relevant now (laughs) as it was then. We have not. (laughs) So... If anything, I would say it's almost got worse. But, um, you know, I think that kind of gives us a good transition into our first section, just this idea that, you know, this film was made and released in 1971. And here we are in 2020. And it's something that not only is a issue, but an issue that some people don't seem to care about. Um, It's Honestly, it's exhausting to care about it, right? It's exhausting to think that, if I go to the store and I even buy a phone or groceries or anything like that, like everything I buy and potentially throw away, that's not recyclable. What does that do? I mean, it's just, it's this whole laundry list of things of I'm sitting here. I'm like, what can I do? Right? Like, you know, pollution, smog, all these things are bad, but can any of this change without completely changing our lifestyles and how we live? So, I wanted to kind of hear your guys' thoughts on that. Like, did this movie inspire anything in your life, or you just kind of sit there and you feel almost despondent because
2: there doesn't seem to be a solution in this? I think of like uh, an example that's been in recent memories, like the Flint water crisis here in the States. Mm. So, I, I went there for a business trip, like probably three or four years ago. And like, first of all, you, you drive through Flint and it, it is completely and totally dilapidated. Like it's very impoverished. Mm-hmm. But to know that they're facing those conditions and th- that people live that way and then also can't even get like access to clean water. That's an easy thing to fix. And by the way, they've, they've addressed some of that as of late, but it took, people were like moving out of, the, people that could move out were moving out. Some people just basically had to stay there because they had no place to go. Yeah. But like to think that we live in the United States and we can't even get access or like an entire city population can't get access to actual clean water. Like you could light the water on fire. People got lead poisoning, which is awful. Um, that's a, that's an example here. And then you think of stuff like the oil pipelines, right, that break and pollute the ocean. Or like we displace entire groups of people or indigenous people to land or like animals that get displaced through through that kind of construction. There's a lot of stuff that you can kind of focus on maybe in the big picture, I don't know how much they add up, but like they're real problems and they still happen today. And I think that's what stuck with me about this movie is some of the same kind of stuff is happening mm-hmm. now that was, he was addressing back in the seventies.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Chris?
1: I don't know. I'm thinking of like thinking of growing up in the nineties, w- we had a lot of cartoons like captain planet and um there's, was- Environmentalism is a big theme in quite a few shows today, so it's hard to see. I'm really just trying to think what, what if anything does the movie contribute that's unique. Mm-hmm. And back in the 70s, probably there was a lot, because I think it was in the 70s that we really kind of started thinking about individual recycling. But um, yeah, in terms of like, did this film uniquely make me get despondent or hopeful about the future of pollution? I can't say it did just kind of get added to the pile in terms of like, Oh, another media says I should be better about protecting the environment. Girl. I already know that <laughs> like girls saying that I can do about it.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, so what's interesting. I just pulled this up while you're talking. So talking about you just mentioned the seventies and kind of the, not necessarily the invention of recycling. um, But I'm looking at this Time article and it said what happened in the 60s and 70s wasn't that recycling was invented, but that the reasons for it changed. Rather than recycle in order to get the most out of the materials, Americans began to recycle in order to deal with the massive amounts of waste produced during the second half of the 20th century. So I think you're right. It was kind of that point is like, oh, crap, what are we doing? You know, we've got all this stuff and we've got to got to do something about it. But see, that's kind of where I'm at, where. I love the movie and I think the message is important but whereas the original actually produced somewhat of a solution in my opinion. Um, we know that you know nuclear testing is not a good thing um, but you can demonstrate that by showing not only what happens but you can also talk about you know this idea of really this laying down of pride, right? Because that's where it really boils down to is we want to be the most successful nation. We want to be the most powerful nation, all that stuff. But when you understand, you know, what the cost is of your actions and you stop using your own ideas and knowledge for, you know, taking the lives of others. So, you know, there's just, there's some kind of practicality in the original. I feel like Um, this one, obviously yes pollution's bad smog is bad all of these things are bad it's it's our our earth is very important that we need to take care of it um i don't think it's necessarily unable to produce a conversation because obviously we're talking about it but the movie does come off as cynical at some points too um it seems like well if we don't do this this will happen again but then as others have indicated the only solution was the embodiment of nuclear testing coming in and defeating it. So I've seen the argument of, you know, maybe this movie, you know, discusses coal energy versus nuclear energy, which I haven't really dove into that, but it just doesn't really seem like there's much of a solution here. Um, I will say it's interesting though. I know Matt, you've been watching Neo Ultra Q um, going into the Tokyo project where I, I love how Obviously, that came out in 2013, so it's not like Hedera was inspired by that. But seeing the well, what what if Hedera inhaled all of the pollution? Wouldn't we be better off? And what's interesting is in this film, made it very clear. Well, no, he would produce the sulfuric acid, but with Neo Ultra Q, it kind of leaves that ambiguity of well, maybe it would be better. Like kind of, it, it is interesting to see that one had a solution. And the other didn't. But I think ultimately, the thing that I really wish this would have got into more is the idea of corporation versus individual responsibility, right? You hear about corporations and Twitter brand accounts talking about what you can do better for racism or pollution and all these things, putting the onus on us. But what about these companies? Like, what are they doing to yeah. stop producing pollution? What are they doing to stop? racism in the workplace and stuff right so I mean do you guys feel like where do you feel like the responsibility was in this film and do you I mean how do you guys handle that in your own lives too
2: it definitely feels uh it in the movie it's placing it on the people and the characters specific and they have those like protests like we're gonna get a million man march and it ends up being like 100 people or whatever mm-hmm. it feels very much like they want to organize and they want to make it a mat in mass kind of thing but they never get there um, the onus has never really put on in a movie anyway, any sort of businesses. And the reality is like mo- majority of the stuff that's, that's ha- a lot of the, the really bad incidents in the world have been done by corporations. Example, um, you, I don't know if you guys have heard of any of the Superfund chemical waste sites that are across the US, there's like 1300 of them. Mm-hmm. The other thing about those is schools ended up being built within like an, like a half mile, like you're talking about like a million students in the United States that are going to schools today like this isn't this isn't just like a thing in the past this is a now thing where there were chemical waste sites that haven't been properly cleaned up and that's linked to like asthma and cancer and learning disorders and all kinds of different things so the onus in the, the things that happen that dramatically impact lives are typically done by businesses mm-hmm. and I think that's where in, in, the, in the reality is we're seeing this a lot with COVID too. By the way, it, it's always about the economy. How can the economy flourish? People, you know, people are worried about jobs and things, but they're not thinking about. They, they kind of put the health on the back burner for the finances. Mm-hmm. Most people can't live paycheck to paycheck, or most people live paycheck to paycheck. Paycheck, they can't go, you know, three or four months without a job, and so that's on the forefront of their mind. But that allows businesses, the, the whole system allows businesses to basically do what they want and how they want and get away with it. And only after the fact do businesses get sued which is what happened in in Flint, Michigan, by the way, they actually were sued and they had to pay out several millions of dollars to some of the victims. But those victims still had impact their lives. They still had kids that they lost. They still had people that were sick. Like you don't change any of that stuff by getting money for it.
0: Not at all. It almost, like, it's good that they get it, but it feels like such a slap in the face. It's like, you have the money to pay me now. Why couldn't you have done this before?
2: Mm -hmm. And I think any parent would say like, Okay, you give me money, but my, my mm-hmm. kid died. My kid is has a terminal illness now because of you. This money, okay, but like, I want my kid.
0: Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. What about you, Chris?
1: Yeah, even compared to some of the past films, um, which is the one that we had talked about, um, like the corporation, like how oh gosh, it was destroy all monsters. And talking about like the smog that opens the film and talking about how the economy had forced the parents to work.
0: You mean all monsters attack or
1: all monsters attack, Yeah. which we
0: agree that Uh, they need to reverse the titles for that. But anyway,
1: Um, but it's crazy. Like this one does this one does kind of put it on us. And I wonder it. we are looking at this from 2020. So maybe in '71 we did have this more starry-eyed idealism that it was really on us, mm-hmm. like it was our fault if we could fix it. But it does kind of seem like it comes out of left field compared to the pretty stringent critiques of capitalism we've seen in the films previous. That now suddenly it's on us as individuals, whereas like so very few films in the Godzilla series so far could you blame on an individual action. Yeah. So this one does feel a little different to say, no, this one is us. I don't know. Yeah. That, that's the feeling that I got that it shifted the blame for probably the first time that I really noticed.
0: And I don't know if it's necessarily intentional. I just, and again, I think you're right. I think looking at it from where we're at now, where we've realized that, you know, corporations and brands, they have no loyalty, right? I mean, that's anytime I see a Twitter account, I mean, I know it's, really just some teenager running the Twitter account. But anytime I see someone going out and promoting some kind of activist, whatever, I mean, it's just whatever benefits them at the time, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's just, I think we've realized that none of these corporations and companies really do care about the people. Um, Well, I would say a lot of us do, not all of us believe that. So Yeah, it's hard for me not to watch that this film and think, okay, well, yes, you are shutting down some stuff, but whereas in this one, it seemed like it was more on what could people do to defeat Hetera. You know, we go back to that new Ultra Q episode where everybody cut down on the pollution, right? Which, I mean, you kind of saw the bureaucratic people, they were complaining and, you know, they're trying to find ways to skirt the issue, which I think was very intentional. But I mean, all the industry shut down. And it hurt, but it worked, right? So I just, I don't know. I, I, I think for me personally, it's hard to look at what is happening with pollution and all that stuff and really find a way forward. Because I think I'm like you, Matt. I've been conditioned in this sense of like, you know, I wasn't raised as an evangelical, but I was conditioned with this idea that, well, eventually the earth is just going to burn up anyway, right? We might as well enjoy what we have now. You know, God has made us stewards of creation and, you know, we need to utilize these things because, you know, just there's all of these arguments that we make to justify the way that we rape the earth. So you said you've had a lot of history with that. Uh, Would you mind sharing that?
2: Yeah. So I grew up um, in a very conservative, it was an evangelical church. And like, so anytime I anytime somebody broached the idea of um environmentalism, it made you a liberal in both your theology and a liberal in your politics, both of which in the evangelical circles made you kind of the enemy. Um or at least that's the way that it felt, right? So when you filter film that way, like the first time that I watched this movie, I was I couldn't get past the environmentalism message to even like watch the movie and just take it in and evaluate it on its own terms, like, hey, was it coherent? Did it, it was, did it get the message it was trying to get across, like trying to enjoy it that way? I mm-hmm. couldn't get past the message itself. And so because of the way that, and really it was the people that I kind of ran in circles with and the way it wasn't necessarily even like the pastor per se, as much as like, that's just what people thought. And that's what they talked about when it came to environmentalism. It goes back to, um, I call it dominion theology, there's probably other words for it, but basically the beginning of Genesis, I think it's like 128, 126, but rule and subdue the earth, and it's people took that so literal that then that that lends itself directly to, well, we're going to support businesses no matter what they do, and no matter how many trees they cut down, and no matter what pollution, and no matter what risk that we have to take to get this pipeline in the ocean, and then they, they don't care about that stuff, and the reality is that lends itself to chasing money. That, that's mm-hmm. what it is. It's all about profit, chasing money. It's not about the betterment of humans. And I think if you go back to Genesis and you read the creation story, a better way to view that is God creates something and he calls it good. And he does that over and over and over again. And when he gives us the dominion over those things, we should still treat them as good. And we're not doing that right now. We're not taking mm-hmm. care of those things. Um, and so I think that's kind of where my head is at now. Whereas like before, I had my blinders up because in my head I was waiting for the end times to happen. And I was wor- uh, waiting for the new creation, the new earth, but everything here presently was going to get burned up. So I was like, why care? Why, why bother at that point? It was, it was almost fatalistic in nature. Like yeah. it was. And, but now like, I mean, I got a son, like I have to think about that stuff. Right. Cause in 50 years, if he can't drink, Again, I'm going back to Flint, Michigan, but like if you have a drinking water problem, that's a huge deal, which happens in other countries. Like in other countries, you have to march miles and miles and miles to go to a well that isn't contaminated with something. So it's one of those things where I've completely shifted. And I think, again, a better way to look at it is through the lens of God made everything and it's good. And if he's given us, quote unquote, dominion over it, then we should treat them as good things and not as things to exploit.
1: Yeah. Well, it's just something like, you know, talking about Dominion and Genesis, where God sets this pattern of things that replicate and are fruitful. And then we've taken Dominion exactly the opposite way of saying, well, we're done with this tree, so we're stopping it now. Like working it exactly opposite the way God works. So it is interesting.
0: No, and that's that's so true, because when we have Dominion, it's with a certain standard in mind so Chris and I were talking about this when you're having some technical difficulties so I'm reading a book right now called reading Wild black by Esau Macaulay and he's actually a, a doctoral student for N.T. Wright um, so I know you've we've talked about N.T. Wright yeah, a few N.T. Wright's times. the best. yeah so he talks about this idea his second chapter in the book talks about Romans 13 and policing and I won't necessarily get into like not necessarily police like Contemporary police but the idea of policing and keeping order stuff like that and he talks about how a lot of people use Romans 13 to to instill this idea that well if there are rulers in place then they're in place by God which it does say that Um, but that you know we. But if, you know, this idea that we, sh- if, if we shouldn't be afraid if we're innocent, right? So if there, if you do something wrong, then be scared. And talking about how that's used to really to subjugate people, right? So he talks about the Exodus and how when Joseph and his family goes into Egypt, you know, that Pharaoh was a good Pharaoh and Israelites prospered at that point. But then you had the new Pharaoh come in and he subjugated and oppressed those people because he wasn't ruling rightly. And that's when God heard the cries of the people. He used Moses and he destroyed Pharaoh, right? And, you know, the the powers that be. So that right there, along with countless other instances in the Bible, shows that when we're given authority and dominion and power, we're supposed to use it responsibly. And creation is no different. Yes, God will come and he will bring heaven to earth and he will make a new creation. But that's not to say that creation now is bad, but it's to be perfected. It's to be put right. And that's just, yeah, it's just this weird dynamic or this weird worldview that Christians have. You said fatalistic, that what happens now doesn't matter, right? And I think that's the kind of mentality that undergirds a lot of abuse in the church, whether it's sexual abuse or just emotional manipulation, because we're so concerned about getting to heaven, we don't care about the backs that we break on the way there. And there's no responsibility taken because, well, you know, the justice that happens now you know, we shouldn't be worried about that. We should be desiring, you know, true justice comes in the afterlife. And it's like, no, that's not how it works. Jesus came in the contemporary to save humanity, right? It wasn't actually, really, he had saved humanity before the foundations of the world. So really, it was done even before that. So, you know, temporality means nothing there. But yeah, it's just, it's it's crazy how prevalent evangelical thought is with this kind of stuff because you can be a non-believer and still have such a disdain towards creation and I'm not saying it's evangelical's fault but like haven't we influenced this nation enough where it's kind of hard to not be curious like how much we've influenced it Hmm. so what about you Chris I mean is that something you grew up with or no not really at all yeah.
1: I think the most um, most influential thing of my thought was to go back to Andy Wright, as we always seem to do, uh, from Surprised by Scripture, when he wrote the essay, Jesus is Coming, Plant a Tree.
0: Yeah. Talking about
1: how our work in the current creation does matter to the new creation based on 1 Corinthians 16, the work that we do now in the Lord will not be in vain. Mm-hmm. So that's been my most like thought forming but in terms of like praxis i mean i recycle but beyond that like i don't there's not a lot we can even do at this rate beyond recycling yeah it doesn't feel like so i'm like thanks cindy right you've formed my thoughts but i don't have a lot of praxis to give you until i take over my fortune 500 company and restructure their recycling process
0: yeah Well, it's, it's even the fact that like in Kansas city, you can be in certain parts or like within the Kansas city area, not every city and suburb even offers recycling, you know? So it's like that, or you have to pay fees to recycle. Like it's just all these weird things where I'm like, it just, it doesn't make sense to me.
2: One of the number one reasons I always hear about why we don't recycle is because they're like, well, it costs more. Like at least in my neck of the woods, they were equating the, and I don't know how true it is, but what Mm -hmm. I've heard people say is it it costs more money. I'll give you another quick example. Um, And I live in the Cincinnati area. And when you drive around here in the Midwest, you have strip malls, which have now been over the past decade, like people just start abandoning those. Mm -hmm. So now we have like deserted malls and deserted strip malls. And instead of when companies open a new site, instead of like remodeling an existing one that costs money they, they decide to actually build something brand new. And so the yeah. old stuff gets abandoned and just completely and totally forgot about. So you've taken down land and trees and resources. And so eventually, if that continues, you're just going to have all these buildings next to each other. And we're just going to keep going down the street to the one that's brand new. And we have, we have resources that we're not actually using properly. And yes, it, it, it takes money to, um, to allocate those properly. But again, it goes back to people chasing the almighty dollar. Like that's, that's what matters for companies. Um, That's what, that's the the bottom line of their profit margin is what drives all of their decisions. No matter like what they tell you otherwise, no matter what social activism that they claim, like it's, it's about money. Mm -hmm. If there was not money to be made and exploited there, like they wouldn't be doing it. And I think if we were going to have change, it would be there. So, yeah.
0: Which is, I mean, that's, that's the hard part to be, optimistic about any of it right you know because we realize like there's yes if every single one of us did something because you know it goes into the conversation about like vegetarianism and veganism where people talk about well if we eat less meat there's less carbon footprint stuff like that which is true but then it's like but why isn't the focus put on corporations for what they do which i'm not saying there aren't any ethical reasons to be as such um chris and i, I know you've t- we've talked about that But I think it just, again, ultimately goes to, you know, the society we live in, you know, we've been conditioned to shoulder so much of this weight and burden on ourselves while the corporations just profit off of it. Um, You know, and before anyone accuses us us of being a Marxist podcast, which really wouldn't be the (laughs) worst thing, um, (laughs) you know, I'm like, okay, and that's supposed to be an insult. Um, But I think the one thing that stood out to me the most, and this will be our kind of final section of our discussion here, is I resonated with this movie a lot now, probably more than I did years past, because this movie just captures how debilitating um, a public crisis can be. So we think about right now, right? We're living, I heard someone refer to it as a post-COVID-19 world. I was kind of bothered by that because, I mean, we're still kind of in the midst of it. But I get what he's saying. Like, it's here, you know, so it's post. But, um, you know, you have the news segments, right, where there's just so many different views being thrown at you, whether it's, you know, feed it oxygen or stop the industries, right, which that was brought up as a point, I should clarify. Um, but it's just like, you know, I hear some people talk about how right now with, our current political landscape or even with, you know, COVID-19, which I guess is now the political landscape. (laughs) um, They talk about there's so much misinformation. But to me, it's not even misinformation. It's information in general. I think about growing up with the news, how different it felt then compared to now. And I might be romanticizing it. um, But I feel like I know so much more now on a daily basis than I did then. And it's exhausting. So I think about this movie and I think about, If I was in this film, I would just be sitting there and feeling like I couldn't do anything while this monster is just rampaging through my hometown and everyone's trying to give an answer and what to do, but it doesn't change the fact that there's still a giant monster killing my friends and family and I'm being told, well, this might work and this might work. Like, it's just, it's paralyzing, right? And I think about right now where my mom is just now recovering from the virus Um, My coworker, her grandma passed away back in April and her fiance's mother just passed away last week. Um, You know, just I've numerous people I've seen in my own life get sick and stuff like that. And it's exhausting. And you have, well, so-and-so saying, you know, vaccines are going to be available in October than other people. You know, it's just there's there's just so much and it's just so much noise. Right. There's not really just this clear bell that cuts through. and. It, it, it's so uh, yeah. It's it's paralyzing and it's exhausting. I mean, did you guys kind of get a similar impression from the film? Like, you know, is that? I don't know if I'm alone in that.
2: Um. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm think I'm right there with you, man. We're like, uh, it's the amount of information. I'm going to specifically reference COVID because I think it's the thing that's probably on the forefront of everybody's mind. Mm-hmm. The amount of information available is overwhelming. The amount of conflicting information or com- conflicting readings of the information even within the church is like in it it's it's to me it's pure insanity i have i i know people that are at risk and i don't want to wear masks Mm -hmm. and i i don't i don't get it and i know people that are just like well let's just accept this let we know we just need to get back to business as usual people are going to die it happens every day and it's like we've we've stripped the humanity from it like those are people's like a grandfather that's a grandmother like those that's those are brothers and sisters there are kids that have died of this now like imagine i i don't know if people just like have lost the ability to to empathy to have any empathy at all but like put yourself in those shoes of like watching your family member suffer with it mm-hmm. I, I i have a i have a family member who's been in the hospital with it for 35 days now and and was close to death on a couple occasions and is doing better now but still has a long road to recovery and i just think like i I don't i don't know why people just don't put themselves like in that position and say no i don't want this to happen to other people Mm -hmm. um i kind of got off on a tangent there but like it's overwhelming and i think the movie does present it well in that way because everywhere you turn around even there's one beautiful shot in the film where like there's those it, it goes from the city to flowers and the flowers are beautiful and color and colorful and Mm -hmm. they're super bright. And they're in the forefront of the the picture. And then the next shot goes back to the city and it's just like dark and like dank, not like the memes, but like the, the nasty thing, like just, (laughs) just like it's the movie shows that eventually, of course, the flowers are the the flowers die and Mm -hmm. it does a really good job of, of overwhelming you with those visuals. So, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question or not, but that's,
0: It, it it does. But the thing is, I think, you know, what you're saying there, and I will kind of play a devil's advocate here, is it was handled so poorly in the beginning. Like, even as of June, the World Health Organization was still saying, like, you know, you don't need to wear a mask unless you're showing symptoms or being. Oh, around 100%. People I don't disagree who, with any of who those are things. sick, right? So, like, I know there's a lot of people who are just exhausted by like, who do I even trust? Right. And that's where it has become a very politicized element where it's hard not to think like, okay, well, you know, especially with like the vaccines, like are they rushing vaccines because someone wants to get a political win, you know, like why are, you know, it's just there's so many different parts to this machine that are moving that it's hard not to just have no idea what's really happening because that's kind of where I think being a Christian makes me take a step back and realize that like there's only one person who really does know everything that's what's going on. So whenever I hear someone that's just speaking so definitively and dogmatically, I'm almost turned off a little bit because I'm like, in a situation like this, like how can you really know what's happening entirely? And that, that way that we've gone and we started shaming each other, I mean, it's an effective tool. But I don't think it's good or right the way that we do that.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, you're right. The information that came out initially, 100% was like it was all over the place and conflicting. I also think that a lot of people are prioritizing their individual desires and wants mm-hmm. and quote unquote freedoms over over the collective good of other people.
0: Oh, absolutely.
2: Mm-hmm. And and that that's a big frustration that I have now because... It it's it's so prevalent. But anyway, sorry, I, Chris probably has something to <laughs> to add.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I have anything like on those same levels. Um, but I was looking at like in terms of what does this movie say, and is it cynical or is it um, where does it leave us? Mm-hmm. I'm kind of comparing it right now to um, two Sentai series which were kind of pollution based. So you've got Gal Ranger in the early thousands. And then Engine Sentai Go-Onger, which was not, it was in the last decade, I think. And um, one thing that I've seen across all of Toku is that there's not always great answers, but they're always trying to um, encourage us in what we can do about it. Um, So none of them say there's the easy answer. None of them say that there's something that we can do that will ultimately solve it. But I do like this way that um, Japanese Tokyo writers don't leave us without anything. Mm-hmm. Like there's still an encouragement to try something, and I feel like even this film, like even in the midst of everything that was getting like spread, there was like there was still a message. There is something you can do, and the encouragement to still be a part of it anyway. Yeah. So it it, it doesn't necessarily mean that just because like. You know, you guys are talking about how little you guys get. We get recycling every week. Um, And it doesn't necessarily mean my carbon footprint's any smaller, but Mm -hmm. there's something that they're trying to tell us is still worth chasing. Still part of being a human and part of caring for this earth is doing what you can. So in that, I can't see cynicism, even if I don't see easy answers.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that's. I think that's where I was coming at it, where it's like, obviously, being in the year 2020, I realized that, nothing I mean I can't say nothing's changed but it's hard to look back and be like uh buddy I mean you he knew because he just passed away a couple years ago but it's like the thing that you cared so much about I mean not everybody does right and I, I actually I'm thinking about Matt how you talked about growing up and being environmentally minded met you know you were viewed as being heretical, really, is what it boiled down to, right? And you think about like how Al Gore, you know, Inconvenient Truth, Like I remember never even being exposed to that because, well, he was a filthy Democrat, right? So I never even was exposed to any of that, which now, if I read back, I I don't know how I'd feel because I've never engaged with it. But I think that just kind of gets into this whole idea where, you know, even still, those on the right are so inclined to be against anything climate based because of what the left has espoused and vice versa i mean there's plenty of things that you know the right would lobby for being you know uh being pro life or you know whatever the case may be that the left would be uh, largely against just because the right is for it so it's just kind of weird dogmatics there but yeah, I uh, the movie's interesting. I think the cynicism for me, um, this is kind of where we'll end, is the messaging almost seems a little mixed because you have Dr. Yano and Ken. You know, they seem like they're the only characters that really know what's going on in the movie. They're the ones that really seem to be giving the right ideas, whereas you know the self defense forces they bongle everything i mean they they literally are saved by godzilla in this movie and the youth seem to be portrayed as just drug fueled and and unable to organize or do anything right um i think it was patrick galvin's article where he was talking about he liked the ambiguity of the old guys just creeping on the youth like <laughs> you know it, it kind of just you can interpret that a few ways. And I think he's the one that said something along the lines of like, just the older generation watching the youth just, you know, and realizing like there's nothing that they could do, but it did almost seem like Bono was arguing that the, the youth or the Woodstock generation, so to speak um, made things worse. Right. Because they were the ones who attracted Hedera up to Mount Fuji, whether it was the emissions from their car or the fire. And they're the ones who were thinking, Oh, we're going to throw a fire at the monster. And it's like, Okay. Um. How much peyote did you guys take? But yeah, it's just it's kind of interesting. I didn't really get who he was directing it at. It's kind of Chris, you know, you and I were talking about, you know, the book we were discussing off the air where if, if an author doesn't know the target audience, it's really hard sometimes to understand the book because they're speaking to so many different people. It's kind of like scattershot. Right, so I don't know if you guys got that impression either, um, that it seemed like there wasn't really like a, I couldn't really tell who Bono was talking to,
2: mm-hmm. but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I it's it felt like it was aimed at every individual, but not necessarily sp- like it. It seemed like it was aimed at the youth, and then like to kill off Yukio pretty unceremoniously. Did you guys laugh as much as I did? Sort of like he dies and he's never mentioned again. Yeah. And by the way, once the the camera cuts away from uh ken and mickey Miki, they like don't they don't show them again for like the next half an hour of the movie it's like they forgot the main characters we were following and this is to your point about who was the target audience they you know ken and mickey and Yukio have kind of been like the main three and then you kind of had the dad filling in the gaps with the expositions and and, mm-hmm. and explanations about things they forget about those three until the very end uh, the kill off the boyfriend, which is Yukio, and like nobody says a thing, by the way. He just like dies and like <laughs> so, so that's that's one of my frustrations with the film that I think you're spot on is like, I'm not sure what what, what he's what Bono is trying to say with that, if anything, it just feels like I'm going to shoot the shot and see where it lands, maybe.
0: Yeah, yeah. I will say it is interesting that this is the first film that we've really seen death again. I thought that yeah. was kind of an interesting element, which as we've progressed, that's becoming, it'll become more and more common. But yeah, it's just kind of like, oh yeah, I forget people actually like die in these movies, right? <laughs> it's not just buildings and cars and stuff like that. Um, I will say, you know, Patrick brought up a really good point of like just how dense Yu-Gi-Oh! is. The fact that like, <laughs> it sounds like I'm saying Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah. Um, That's what I thought the first time. (laughs) Well, just the fact that, like, you know, they realize, like, at least Hedera sucks up the cars because of all the emissions. And then they don't even think about, like, huh, maybe that would influence, like, they go up to Mount Fuji driving cars. Like, that wouldn't, you know, when everyone else cuts out all of their emissions, the fact that they're like the sole people driving around, like, that wouldn't attract him. I don't know. Maybe they just didn't care. Like I said, peyote. I don't know. But anyway, so closing thoughts. I, I would like to hear from you, Chris, just kind of your takeaway from this and maybe what you're expecting or looking forward to now that we've entered a, uh, a new era of films. A
1: minimalist, list. Yeah. And I know, <laughs> and I know you've
0: got your, your very deep theological insights you'd like to share with us too.
1: Oh gosh. You know, um, after seeing Eric's comment or Eric's comic, uh, one of my first ones, which if you haven't seen that, Oh my God, you need to see this. This is a work of art. I'm like sitting here. I'm like, I gotta do, I gotta like plan these now. (laughs) I gotta get some like, um, but you know, in the end, I, I'm glad we're getting back on track with stuff to say. I'm, Wish we had a little more of that target audience, but after a few that we kind of had said, we're not really sure where this is going. We're not sure what's being said. I appreciated it. I think Matt, you'd called it an art house film earlier, Um, which art house for me is like, I don't always love them. I usually find most art house films boring beyond all compare. Um, But like, Hey, if you've got something to say, I'm willing to discuss it. But Mm -hmm. In terms of expectations, I, I mean, we're really in, I've said this before, we're getting into like super uncharted territory. I know about evil Ultraman and that's about it.
0: Uh, I I don't know. I, I'm assuming you're referring to Jet Jaguar there, but I'm not sure. Maybe.
1: (laughs) Why would evil Ultraman be called Jet Jaguar? See? I don't even. (laughs) The only reason I even know about evil Ultraman is because I saw some posters from a tweet. From the account. Other than that, I'd be like, I don't know. There's probably Mecha Godzilla coming. Matthew Broderick's on the way. But
2: <laughs> oh, bro, have you? Does he know what? Chris, you know what movies after this one? I'm just curious.
1: Yeah, I, I, I know about the schedule that I check frequently. <laughs>
2: so, I'm just, I'm, I'm excited for you to watch the next one because I, uh, I, yeah, guy. You know,
1: I know what it is, but for the people who are listening that don't. Which one's next?
2: Oh, it's it's uh, what we, you're we talking about, Gaigan, and it's I, it's one of those things where, like, if you're not sure what this one is saying, I I just can't wait to hear what you think of the next movie for for reasons that I can't even talk about because you haven't seen it yet. It makes oh. me sad.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Well, feel free to at me after we record. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Alright, Chris, what uh what truth bomb are you ready to drop on us now?
1: You know, actually all I had was something that Matt himself took. And Oh, snap. We're gonna have to edit that out so I can sound like the really smart guy. <laughs> but uh just talking about that Genesis, it's not about it's not about the Dominion. It's about Godzilla and his living breath that activates the way that we live correctly in the world, just as his atomic breath activated that one thing, um, God's breath activates us to fight pollution.
2: I didn't say that, by the way. There's no way I could have said that. (laughs) (laughs) There's no way. Oh, man, they just get
0: better. Okay. Um So like I was talking about, uh, we are celebrating our anniversary with the release of this episode. Um, I'm going to play, as we talked about last time, I invited y'all to share uh, favorite moments of the show, stuff like that. And we uh, got an outpouring of messages. Very excited to share these. Um, There were a few that uh, were not able to be recorded. So I'm going to read those really quick. Um, One of those Chris has already actually touched on. Um, So Eric Schuster had talked about my favorite serious moment was probably you talking about how Frankenstein's life mattered even though he was a scary monster in Frankenstein Conquers the World. But Chris talking about Minya killing Ghidorah as the son of God, striking down the serpent is probably my all-time favorite serious or silly moment. That was an S-class joke there. Yeah. And then we had uh, Rob, I think it's Shamoy. I don't know. I'm sorry, man. Um, His message was I'm mainly just happy to find a place where I can think about and talk about both Godzilla and Christianity. It's very refreshing to hear Christian theology that isn't the same old I've heard for years or even harmful interpretations. Asterisk, that's depending on who you ask. Um, (laughs) I really love the conversations you and Chris have, and it has made me appreciate the Godzilla series a lot more and solidified my love for it. Also, Minya is the best. Amen. Yes, yes, amen.
1: Let's just also let's just also plug um, Rob's Twitter um, at your boy Shamoy because his skill in Microsoft Paint is truly sending me like yeah, some of the good. memes that he makes.
0: It's so good. It's incredible. Yeah, but uh, I'm gonna go ahead and play these clips, and the first one is from Lisa Nafziger. Uh, she didn't introduce herself because she accidentally recorded a video, not thinking that this was a podcast. So. Lisa, thank you. We're so mean. That's not mean. She's even told me she'll she'll speak for herself. So I realized as I'm recording this that you were probably asking for an audio file and not a video. But anyway, you can take the audio from this video. So (laughs) if I had a favorite moment from the Kaiju Apostle podcast so far, other than the funny banter back and forth between you and Chris and the insight that you offer, um... I think there are a lot of podcasts out there covering similar material, but what's been really special is to, uh, I mean, be a part of the building a bridge segment, but also listen in from other creators and fans in the community. Um, it's been great to get to know people like Faye who I've started talking to since I've heard her interview. So I think it's a great way to make what's a really large community feel a lot more close together. And that's something I really appreciate. Hey guys, this is Eric from Monsters vs. Men Podcast.
2: I just wanted to take a second to say happy one year anniversary Kaiju Apostle Podcast. David and Chris, you have been knocking it out of the park every episode. And though I don't have a specific moment that I'd like to share, I would just like to say the Frankenstein Conquers the World episode featuring Michael, a.k.a. Kaiju Groupie has got to be on the top of my list. Keep doing what you're doing, guys. Thanks for being awesome members of this community, and thanks for being awesome friends.
0: Hey, this is Jason St. G from Nerd Cage Live, Syracuse, New York. And just want to give my shout out to Chris and David of the Kaiju Apostle Podcast. Congratulations on a one year anniversary. Cheers to many more. Thank you for sharing your fandom and your faith with us. And hope to meet you guys at G-Fest. And just want to say my one of my favorite moments of the Kaiju Apostle Podcast. Definitely listening to you guys on uh, mon- the Monster Zero episode, especially with the, uh, the Tetsui rant and how he's the hero. Man, that was something. Uh, you guys are very captivating and i really love the show so keep up the great work i'll be listening for years to come
1: Faye here my favorite kaiju apostle moment is
0: honestly the entire discussion around the importance of life and the Frickton conquers the world discussion congrats on hitting the one-year anniversary mark
3: well hello
0: there kaiju
1: apostle david and chris it's henry the host and i just want to say quickly thank you guys so much for what a wonderful podcast you have done um even though it is a debunked paleontology department now, uh, I just am really happy with what you guys do. And I will definitely say my most influential episode was your Godzilla versus Mothra episode. Uh, the discussion of Mothra was really good. And David, I'm sorry that I'm already past 20 seconds, but, you know, that's how the Henry, the host, do. So keep up the good work, lads. Congrats on one year. Hey, Chris and David, this is Chris of Arcantiacast, and I just want to say congrats on your one year anniversary. You guys were awesome beacons of positivity within the kaiju community and i was if i have to pick a favorite moment from your guys show honestly your building bridges episodes just shows you know something that's really neat in this community on helping you know our fellow fans and make sure that spread positivity as well as your gamma super monster stuff that that is gold so congrats on one year anniversary the rest of gargantia cast and something ghoulish also wishes you a happy anniversary
3: Hello, Kaiju Apostle crew. Uh, You know, uh, Chris and David, congratulations on making it one year in this crazy Kaiju podcasting world that we live in. Uh, This is Andrew. Uh, I've been listening for... What was my first episode? It was – it was I, th- I believe it was Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster was one of my first episodes with you guys. And then, of course, going back and kind of getting introduced. And I, right away I was really kind of surprised with how intelligent and unique your perspectives are on top of, you know, being extremely funny when you guys want to be. Uh, I had not heard some of your perspectives on the fandom, and I think looking at it through a theological lens has led to a lot of very interesting and fascinating discussions. That and your work with the building a bridge has really led to, uh, some amazing discoveries for me as far as people go. Anyways, don't want to get too moist and start crying on this, you know, little message. I just want to say, congratulations, David and Chris, you two are truly the best.
4: Uh, hey David, Chris, it's Jack. Wanted to wish the Kaiju Apostle podcast a happy one year. I gotta make it quick. There's a lot of background noise. I apologize for that. But uh, it's uh, it's been a joy to have have you guys on blast when I really need it. And it's it's been an even greater honor to know you. I think the best part of the show is how how nothing's off limits. You know, you you guys could be a typical movie review podcast and go through the checklist of. Oh, the acting's good. Oh, the acting's bad. Oh, the effects are good. Oh, the effects are bad. But but we, the audience, can usually figure that stuff out ourselves. What you guys do is what real film criticism should do, and that's uh, make us think about movies. So whether it be from the themes you find in them or just how we view them in a sort of meta discussion, you guys take us places with these films that I, I really didn't expect to see, and... It's been a lot of fun being on that journey with you. So happy Anna birthday from myself and my team from uh, the Drift Space. And as we encourage on there, always stay strapped. Love you guys.
1: Hey there, guys. Michael here, the Kaiju Groupie. There's a lot that I could say, and there's a whole lot that I want to say about you guys and about your podcast. But I will simply say this. Thank you. Thank you for everything that you guys have done for this community. And David, thank you specifically, man, for everything you've done for me. If it was not for you and your Building a Bridge episodes, there probably would not be a Kaiju Groovy podcast. So I will say thank you both for being such fantastic people. It is an honor to know you. Hashtag Harlow forever. And may the great and powerful menu keep you and protect you in the days to come.
0: So thank you guys so much for that. Um, The reason I did that is just because obviously we, this is a fun show. And as I've said time and time again, you know, this is really just started as an excuse for me and Chris to have a night every couple of weeks to talk and chat and thrust him into this wonderful world. Um, But the show really wouldn't mean anything to us if we weren't actually developing and maintaining these relationships as well. Um, so that's just our way of, you know, sharing what you guys have to say, because, you know, I, 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 like I said, I've, I've said it time and time again. Um, this really wouldn't mean anything if we didn't have those relationships with Mm y'all.
1: Yeah. It's just been funny to be, um, to come into this and see all of these people like start to follow me from worlds that I wouldn't have even imagined. And, um, be able to connect with all, with all of you. And it like, I, I'll tell you what, like Rob and Eric making memes and comics of things that I said out of my mouth, out of my stupid brain. It's <laughs> like surreal. So those like both like made my day and seeing David get canceled. And the one meme that Rob made, that was incredible. Uh,
0: <laughs> just because yeah, I don't like mustard.
1: Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's been amazing. It's like all of these people, like um, I'm saying this cause he's on the screen with me right now, but like Matt, who I'd had zero reason to talk with otherwise, like it's been really cool to be welcomed in as someone who like knows 0% of what I'm talking about and will probably forget each film by the time the next one starts, but like to still be able to like have good conversations with people who welcomed me and it's been amazing. So thank you for that.
0: Yeah. And, and that's exactly it is, you know, it's. To have friendships. So, so Matt, not just because you're on the screen, but you know, over the past few months, I found myself talking to you more than even some people that I live a couple miles away from. Right. And it's just, I, mm-hmm. I've appreciated the way that we've been able to connect and the way we've been able to just open up to each other in a way that I, I do struggle with other people as well. And this, this community really does give us the ability to Yes, bond over our shared interests in these films, but finding people that, I mean, really, I could guarantee you, if it wasn't for this fandom, we never would have crossed paths, right? So I am thankful to have those friendships with you and with everyone else because, you know, like I've said numerous times when crap hit the fan this spring, you know, I didn't have a church to fall back on. You know, I had a couple friends, but like it was, it was really the fandom and the community. That stepped it up in a way that I just never could have dreamt possible. Um, So as a way of saying thank you for a year of support, we are giving one person a shirt from our dear friend Lisa Nafziger's web store, uh, whatever design they'd like. Uh, So all you have to do is just retweet this episode post on our Twitter and comment with the movie you're looking forward to us discussing the most. And that just has to be done by 11.59 p.m. Central Standard Time uh, on September 19th. Uh, We will announce the winner sometime on the 20th. Uh, Also, since I know we do have listeners that do not use Twitter, just send us an email over at thekaijuapostle at gmail.com with your answer. Speaking of which, do you like the X from Outer Space, Matt?
2: I do actually, yeah.
0: Yeah, she loves that movie. I remember listening to the episode she did with Henry on his show about it, and I tried watching it, and it's a, uh, it's a goofy one.
2: Uh, I am probably the only fan ever of the sequel, which is a parody film, but technically a sequel, the Mon- Monster X Strikes Back. Yeah, so I've heard it's pretty funny. I I thought it was hilarious, but like n- nobody agrees with me, so you know. Hmm.
1: So you're the only fan of this but you don't like the anime trilogy.
2: That is correct. And you I will take like Monster X Strikes back over the anime every day of the week. So, Matt, for the people who don't know, where
0: can they find you online? And what else do you have down the pipeline for people to look forward to?
2: Yep. So you can find us at Facebook under Kaiju Transmissions. We have our uh, Twitter account, KT underscore podcast. You can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com. As far as things in the pipeline, uh, the biggest thing we have going, again, I'm going to mention Kaiju Masterclass. So uh, that's going to be an online convention. We're going to be announcing some of our guests, and some of them are really awesome. Um, You can actually go to uh, the Kaiju Masterclass website, kaijumasterclass.com. And that is going to take place the weekend of October 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. That's a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. The third and the fourth, which are the Saturday and Sunday, are the two big days. We're going to have panels, live panels with real audience Q&A sessions. Where it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of crazy um, information being dispersed. And there's going to be some fun surprises here that I can't really spoil. But yeah, um, so again, kaijumasterclass.com and KT underscore podcast for our Twitter.
0: Absolutely. And I'll make sure to tag all of that in the uh, the show notes as well. Um, but Matt, I mean, I really am excited that you did jump on. I know we had talked about another movie, but we wanted to get you on sooner rather than later. And, uh, we may break our rule and, uh, have you on again. Um, but thank you again for tuning in to the Kaiju Apostle podcast. If you like what you heard, have a comment you'd like to share, or if you want to remind us how we are, uh, undercover Marxists, make sure to let us know over at our Twitter page. Our handle is Kaiju Apostle Pod. Should be like Kaiju Comrade Pod. Um, or you can send us an email at contact at kaijuapostle.com. You can also follow Chris on Twitter at chrisworms. That is W-E-R-M-S. And Chris, you know what I'm going to ask you?
1: Yep. i finishing up Car Ranger, but the only Power Rangers I still haven't finished is Lightspeed Rescue. So that's kind of been my priority.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I'll have had all 900 some episodes under my belt and I can finally go get a girlfriend.
0: That's yeah. all you've been waiting for.
1: Yeah. Just have to watch all power injuries before I can start. Dating.
2: <laughs> Lo- lofty goals.
1: Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, that explains why I'm failing so hard. Um, well, you're the married one. <laughs> yeah. I'll talk about your dad feels and I'm like, well, you know, today I put some like windshield wa- washer fluid in my car by myself for the first time. So, I'm an adult, too. Trust <laughs> me. <laughs> but until next time, uh, may Mothra watch over you, Godzilla power you, and High Priest Moist Mania bring you joy.
0: um, can we talk about uh ultraman z for a minute though yeah do you watch it too yeah have you you've been watching it right matt i'm caught up yeah i watched
2: the newest episode i think yesterday with landon yeah so
0: i i will say because i remember when you did the the MVM plus episode matt um That finally got me to watch. uh, Is it My Home is Earth? Is that the name of the episode? God, yeah, that's clear. Like, definitely one of the best ones from that whole series. And when I watch an episode like this, like I was telling Mallory about it, I'm like, yes, this show does have monsters and fighting, but this is the reminder that, like, why I loved Ultra Q and why I really did like the tail end of Ultraman. Because obviously, it does have a lot to say. Um, I wasn't as emotional as people were on Twitter. I think sometimes I think we type out exaggerated tweets. Um, But that hit a lot harder than I was expecting it to. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't even necessarily the dad part. It was just the fact of like understanding the implications of like I am now like he he associated more with the monster that killed his dad (laughs) than he did his dad. Right He was realizing like, oh my God, like I'm not the person that I thought I was like that that was really tough to watch mm-hmm.
2: yeah, Ultraman Z is uh again, zero substance, and I feel like the the older ultraman shows mm-hmm. at least try they don't always make it like some of the, I'm really struggling to get through Ultraman h right now. I have like seven episodes left mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some really like solid episodes there, but I, return of Ultraman, are you watching that right now? I, I don't remember how far along you are.
0: No, I started ultra seven and I'm just, I got, maybe I just am burned out in general, but I got like five episodes in and I'm like, this is not my thing.
2: Yeah. The, the, the downside to having 50 episodes. Is that you're going to have a good a good chunk that aren't good? I would say Return of Ultraman like is almost solid from start to finish. Honestly, that's what I've heard, and it's, yeah. it's true. Uh, you don't have the highs and the lows of Ultra Seven, where like the good episodes are really really solid, and the bad ones are like really really bad and make you never want to watch it again. <laughs> but like Ultraman Z, I'm struggling with because like it's
0: really
4: it's
2: again. I think it's because I want something. I know what Ultraman can be. Mm -hmm. And, like, as beautiful as the tokusatsu and the effects and everything are, I find almost all the jokes and the humor to be just, like, eh. And I'm there for the monsters, and that's enough. Mm -hmm. But, like, it's not something that I'm going to gravitate towards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we
0: talked about that last time, though, where I'm like, even even if you can't give me anything of substance, if the spectacle is there, I'm good with that. Right? Like, Mm -hmm. I am, because I'm Mm -hmm. not going to expect more. You know, and that's that's kind of without trying to color Chris's perspective too much, that's kind of what ruined a lot of the nineties films for me when I watched the gamera trilogy. Cause I'm like, Oh, you could do this, so why weren't they able to do that? Cause some of those like watching Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla too, I'm just sitting there. I'm like, Oh, this is the perfect map movie. Um, But yeah, how did you feel about what's that? What were you asking? I was just it's Chris, how did you feel about the episode?
1: Oh, I like the last one a lot, but I also understand it's a it's a show about like the spectacle and having fun. Mm-hmm. And compared to the other series that I've seen, it's just it's it's faster paced. It's more humorous. Yeah. Um. It's it's a nostalgic kind of train ride, and that doesn't land for me. But
2: this last episode was probably the the best or second best. I really love it. Like the first episode of Z. This mm-hmm. this past week's episode was good. Mm-hmm. but like everything between there was like mm. yeah
0: yeah it's definitely something where i'm like no one's going to be thinking man how could i like do my master's dissertation on this <laughs> tv show but it's fun and sometimes yeah. that's all i want right you know like with jasper he's never bored he's running around doing his roles going swatch and you know, all that stuff like he loves it and you know, I'm so excited. We, uh, I ordered him some Ultraman. It's a, it's a Ultraman shirt with I don't remember who's on there. It's just a little blue shirt with a pocket on there, Um and I got an Alien Bolton shirt. That's pretty cool.
2: But like, that's your, you know, so all your rules, huh? Is it like the different colored Bolton? Yeah,
0: different like walking and different. Yeah, I, I yeah. have that.
2: It's great. It's great to yeah,
0: you. yeah. So like, we've. <sighs> I feel more comfortable letting them watch that than I do some of these older Ultraman <laughs> series because how gruesome they can get um, and how dark some of them are too. So that's kind of it. I think it for me is if I was just watching it on my own, I don't know if I would care as much, but it's just, it's fun. And that's, that's something that I can say about that. And I can't really say about ultra seven at the moment, but I think once I finish Neo ultra Q, which Chris, if you don't watch, any of that show, I need you to watch Laundry Day. That is hands down one of the one you sent
1: you sent me the clip from that one, right? Yes.
0: It's so good.
1: Okay. It's great.
0: It's so good. Like I was telling you Matt, like I was just like, where is this going? And then where it ends up is nowhere that (laughs) I would have expected.
2: I'm digging I'm digging Neo Ultra Q a lot. Like every episode has been a winner. Like every one of them.
0: Absolutely. I really like the uh I really like the uh the one with the model. Yeah. That was interesting. Yeah. And that's and that's the thing. Like, I think I'm glad with this whole Mill Creek, you know, Toku Renaissance thing that's going on. I'm glad that they did start with Ultra Q. Because that's what I started with. And still, it's my favorite series. Like it's I just it's so Mine unique. Too. It's it's not even that it's like, oh, it's like Twilight Zone, but like you actually get a good amount of depth from the characters. They're like just the, the way that they interact with these monsters. Like it, it really goes back to where I felt like with the Shiro Honda, he talked about, you know, the, the tragic nature of monsters, you know, it's not that they're evil. It's just, they're big, they're cumbersome, all these things. Right. You know, and that's really what that show plays into where most of the monsters aren't even evil. They just exist. So, but, um, one of these days, Matt, I'm gonna to need to talk to you about the anime trilogy without Chris, though.
2: <laughs> Do you I don't Chris, did you like it? it? He hasn't it? seen it. He hasn't watched it. Oh, so yeah, from this right. point on
0: from this point on, what movies have you watched? I think just Godzilla 2014, right, Chris? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So he oh, hasn't wow. seen anything else. I
2: cannot wait for you to see 98, just because reasons. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we have. Uh, we're bringing Henry back on for that one. We have. When to. you it's
2: gonna be fun. When you uh, watch, you need to go through and rewatch some of the commercials and the advertising for that movie, though. I because they're, they're it's it was one of the biggest advertising campaigns like ever, mm-hmm. which is also Sorry. why the movie didn't do great. But
0: <laughs> yeah, I well, remember all, all I the talk about that,
2: stuff.
1: Oh god! I was at my um, mom's house the other day, and my grandpa was watching TV. And I saw Matthew Broderick on screen, and I was like, oh, it can't be. And then turned into Godzilla, and I was like, Grandpa, I'm so sorry. You have to change the channel. <laughs> he's,
3: like,
1: he's like, why? And like, do not ask me any more questions. Just change the damn channel.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, I'm going to cheat on David, and I'm going to Godzilla cheat on David. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's what I was telling uh It's the only Eric one he's cause... worried about. I was telling Eric, because he's never watched Kong Skull Island. And they're waiting to do their Kong series till Godzilla vs. Kong comes out. And I was like, man... You've
2: been waiting for, like, four years.
0: I know. But that's, like, to me, that's my favorite MonsterVerse movie, so it'd kill me. Like, I mean, Chris, you're going to have to wait. But, like, I want to hear his thoughts, like, you know, with their show. Um, but, yeah, I just... I I get why you don't like the trilogy. Like, that's one of those things where I've... I've really tried to discipline myself in understanding why people feel a certain way. Even if I don't agree with you, I understand why. But it's it's almost like with the Ultraman anime, too. I watched the Ultraman anime before watching the Ultraman. And I got into the Godzilla anime before I really started diving back into the Godzilla films. So I think maybe that had something to do with it. But I don't know. I really
2: like him. But I, again, I, uh, I like the uh, Ultraman anime. Yeah, I ended up enjoying it much more than I thought I would.
0: Yeah, I remember you telling me that. I'm glad that you did. Um, I think there's a. To be honest, I think that's what the movies should have been is in kind of in that format. But that's neither here nor there. I think it would have played out better instead of just three. Movies. Well, that was the intention
2: initially. So like, really? See, I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, they. It was the intention was to have like a serialized show and then they scrapped that and I think that's why that's why the issues that I have with it I think also exist so
0: yeah that makes sense oh man